0: The big time stuff that I wish I had. The big time stuff that'll make you mad. The big time stuff. Big time stuff. I like the
1: big time, big time stuff. I like the big time stuff that I never had.
0: Welcome to another exciting edition of Market Meditations, where I, your host, Neil Modi, and our other hosts, my co-host, Chris Heidel, Uh, talk about the market, interview interesting people we can learn from and hopefully just become better people. And uh, hopefully, obviously, that will translate into us becoming better investors. We're really appreciative of you guys joining us on this journey and uh, learning more with us. If you have any questions ever, please go ahead and feel free to drop us a line ahead of time. Um, You can reach both Chris and I on on LinkedIn um, and through the show uh, comments. Also, if you get a chance, we would really appreciate it if you would Rate our show and give us a nice review and tell us what you think. Thank you very much. Without further ado, welcome to Market Meditations. Cue the music, Chad. The big time stuff that I wish I had. The big time stuff that'll make you mad.
1: The big time stuff. stuff. I like the the big time stuff. I like the big time stuff that I never had.
0: Christopher Joseph Heidel, what's, what's, what's the J stand for again? Remind me. Jude. Hey Jude. I got to remember that one. A
1: playground all the time. Hey Jude. Hey. Hey Jude. Being,
0: being named after a beetle. That doesn't sound like a bad thing.
1: No, it was memorable. They did forget me. Um, so
0: it's just the two of
1: us today. We're going to do a quick
0: wrap up of the market, I think. And uh that'll be it we will have Rick Sassari on our next podcast when mm-hmm. we resume after the 4th of July week
1: that is wonderful can't wait to have him back it'll be like a meeting of old friends <laughs> <laughs> you have to have coffee ready Neil so it feels like you're meeting in person
0: <laughs> I could go meet him in person and record that way yeah, you don't drink coffee at
1: all do you Neil
0: oh, it just smells wonderful but whenever I taste it I you know not good I I've, so I've had a a glass and a half in my life and it mm. it feels like I imagine the drug speed sounds.
1: Uh-huh. A glass Everything and a half of
0: coffee. Yeah, total.
1: Did you ever take a no-dose pill or have any other form of caffeine other than of course chai or tea, right?
0: No. Yeah. No. Yeah, I don't know why I'd take a notice but I have a couple, literally given to me by a friend. But
1: not a wise. Yeah, those are. I don't. Yeah, I don't. Nasty.
0: I would rather just sleep when I'm tired, man. Yeah, yeah.
1: It's like uh, somebody offering you crystal meth or something. The you know, best is just say no, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'll lose my uh, the rigor of thought. <laughs> yeah, I, I like happy. control
0: a little too much to let go. Yeah, I got to tell you. Yeah. My drug of choice is meditation. I'm at 100 days in a row now, 101 days in a row now.
1: Oh, that's great, Neil. How long do you yeah. sit? Uh, about 10 minutes on
0: average. I do uh, some short sessions, and then I do end up doing some long sessions. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I- I'd like to get up to 20 minutes. I, I remember your-, your Gandhi story.
1: <laughs> yeah, twice a day. Right? <laughs> or two hours a day is what he said. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like, I must meditate two hours a day.
0: Since you don't think I have time for one, I clearly am not doing things right. That's right.
1: That's right. Yeah. Well, Bapu, he was the greatest. He was the greatest. So talk to me about the market this week. Oh, my gosh. It looks like The craze and the disconnection
0: between the market and the world. Well,
1: (laughs) I think the market's taken notice, not because we said it, but because it's just... (laughs) It's a big air pocket. It's the wily e. coyote moment. It certainly looked today like no one wanted to be long going into the weekend, because the problems that are surfacing in the economy and in the pre-announcements, just the uh, and even looking at China and how slow that recovery is proceeding, are going to be worse on Monday. All those problems that we see today are not going away by Monday. So, uh, and the market, of course, has run way, way up. So components of it are pretty uh, richly valued. and I think people are using this opportunity to take whatever profits or recoup losses they have and yeah, go go for liquidity. Although I have to say some corners of the market we talked about with, um, with uh, Roger are up, you know, the uh, junior miners uh, and the gold complex generally precious metals are very strong. That's normally defensive, but those cash flows look to be quite strong. So it looks like there are some things people are willing to buy. What are you seeing, Neil, in your world? You know, I I my world doesn't really
0: necessarily always correlate exactly with the market. You know, I was reading that there was a big study done by one of these big firms, law firms, and I don't remember which one it is. I'll look it up while we're talking. Um, that, um, you know, venture funding is only down by 15 or 20%. And it was funny because I called Roger up um, and talked to him about this. Uh-huh. And he said, well, you know, venture's the last to realize it. And I was like, well, I don't really want to be the last to realize anything, right? <laughs> like, you know, yeah. it's, it's raining. Do you want to buy an umbrella? No, no. I, I want to have a, good, be, a little better prepared.
1: <laughs> That's a good analogy. Do you, um, so what did Roger suggest as early indicators to watch? Did he have any? He had,
0: he didn't have any. He just said like, you know, venture capital is traditionally the last asset class to notice when the market is off. And I'm like, well, I think we've got to be careful to begin with. Um, but, you know, a bunch of the things we're investing in aren't going to be affected by um, the market the same way. Um, because, you know, we're, we're looking at a, a really interesting autism diagnostic right now. Mm-hmm. Well, people still need that, right? And it's a lot better than the other 92 markers that exist out there on the market today. Um, it's a lot more specific and sensitive. Mm-hmm. Um, that That's still going to be needed. That's still going to be bought. Um, maybe you can make an argument to me that it's only bought for $100 versus, you know, $500 a test. Fine, right? Like, okay.
1: Or more, so I have to think about that my calculations. Or, or maybe more to the point that when they go from C to A to B, the, the jumps, the quantum leaps or valuations won't be as um, mouthwatering or will be more subdued.
0: You know, people say that, but I, I still think that the same number of people are going to buy mm-hmm. um, this autism diagnostic. As an example,
1: well, you're thinking, I think, the right way, looking really through the fundraising to the actual value that the market uh, needs. Yeah, so I think Medtronic, you know, maybe we'll
0: see their valuations down 20 or 30 percent. So, you know, maybe, you know, the same company that I thought could exit at 300 million will only exit 200 million. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, we're, we're, looking, we're looking at, you know, stuff that has a chance to have, you know, massive returns. Um, and every one of the things we invest in has, has to have a chance to return our entire fund or we don't really want to be a part of it. So if we're meeting those criteria, you know, getting lost in. Well, that, that sounds a like a
1: criterion. I, I hate to be a nitpicker, Neil Modi.
0: A criterion. Sorry, it is the one that each <laughs>
1: investment has to return. That seems like the first and most important criterion, and the, you, I'm sure, have other filters.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you've seen them. Yes, we have lots of other filters. So there are
1: criteria, yes, but yeah, um, that, that's the important one. The,
0: the, that's one of the important ones. I think mm. there's lots of important. I don't. I don't think. You know, we we've got a list of things that we want to invest by, and you know it that list is almost always growing and it's becoming harder, but we're still meeting great entrepreneurs who are doing stuff and whether, I can't really predict whether Medtronic's gonna do something more irrational. So I just have to say like, is there enough demand in the world to wanna buy this? And you know, is there a potential natural acquire? Why do I think so? Um, how can I be sure of that? Um, and then I've gotta go about double checking that. And then you know, getting lost in where it's gonna go exactly seems a bit like a fool's game Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, because who knows maybe they maybe they'd sell for less if they sold earlier like i can try and think through these scenarios but modeling every one of them out just you know i i might as well just go draw on all all, every sidewalk i've ever seen until i'm done right like there's just too many combinations Yeah. yeah yeah that's why i think the the criterion the first criterion and uh the the Following criteria matter quite a bit for our thesis.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. Um, So I don't know if it'll be so obvious in my sector of venture capital. I think you're going to start to see it in tech um, and the tech valuations. And, you know, I think SoftBank has already helped burst the bubble to begin with a little bit
1: with WeWork. Um, Yeah, for sure. For sure you know <laughs> it's we works not alone uh, Maya son was throwing that money around quite liberally
0: yeah and he still does I mean they, I still kind of think they're doing some crazy things regularly mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. While, while they still may make a par return or a just subpar return um, so I don't know that the, the world will really notice the the way i I'd, I'd like them to um, that's okay. Mm-hmm. Right. Just, I, I just, you know, it's good that when something's a little too high in my field that, you know, it, it bursts.
1: Yeah. 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 Um,
0: it's, I it's, also think that,
1: it's not allowed in the public markets these days.
0: Frowned upon. Well, I, I also think Theranos helped out a little bit. Um, mm. cause no, no real, no investor with, um, deep, uh, Science diligence ability uh, wrote a check, right? It mm-hmm. was all like tech investors trying to get in them. So I kind of think it's probably good as well because it exposed tech investors to something new, even though they lost. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they have an appetite to say, oh, there is something else here again. Um, so let's see what happens. I I think really, you know, they're going to have to look for more and more places to diversify their investment. And Bitcoin alone can't stand up the entire industry.
1: Or the next dating app. Or the next dating app. Right. right, right. So something more meaningful you're suggesting is coming out of this. How do you measure um, the interest of tech and former tech investors in the world of healthcare?
0: No. i I don't measure that I don't try, I don't think yeah. about it much
1: you do you, you um, just see more um, more investment generally, just a larger wave right
0: yep yeah um, I also think we're about to go into the equivalent of the space race or it's already started in healthcare um, mm-hmm. and the launch of Sputnik led to phenomenal things like the internet the way we know it today, mm-hmm. and toothpaste the way we know it today, and we're about to see that same thing in healthcare and over the next decade um, so you know i'm pretty excited and optimistic about how long that will last for for venture because i think you know that's a 15 to 20 year, you know span and i i say 15 to 20 years because sometimes you know or a lot of the times things take more than a decade in the lab but if they got tons of funding you know and somebody's actually spent 15 years of their life working on it it will potentially come out and be a really interesting investment for us in twenty
1: thirty-five. Mm. That's the long view.
0: <laughs> oh I, I think it's just realistic, right? Yeah. Um, I I don't want to only make money in twenty thirty five. Don't don't hear that. I just I think that there's going to be a phenomenal pipeline of opportunities continuing to come out because of this this new decade of healthcare because of all of the the COVID scare. So I think there's a silver lining in our business.
1: Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, I'd have to agree. Um, Do you see any problems that COVID or any businesses that uh, might now join the dustbin of history due to COVID um, through the windshield, Neil?
0: Problems. You know, the one I was thinking of that was answered really well by, um, I think, one of the Partovis, which are early, they live in Seattle and they're early investors in LinkedIn and I think Facebook and Their cousin is famously known as the CEO of Uber. Mm. Um, One of them posted on Facebook (laughs) the other day that they thought COVID had helped people realize that they could work from anywhere. Uh And Uh in spite of Trump's um, ban on H-1Bs and green cards, um, that the best talent in the world will still work, will just work from wherever they are. It won't really matter. And companies will adjust to be able to pay them in whatever country they're in. Um, which kind of makes sense to me anyway, because I think about a decentralized model. I think that's harder in some lab um, development. Right, but, right. you know, you know it, it, we, we had uh, the CEO of Juno on recently. Um, he's done a fair amount of good lab development, despite, you know, having crazy shifts in, uh, of understaffed people. Um, and so maybe he's been, what 75% as, a percent as effective. Mm-hmm. Um, so 25 down, um, 25% in effectiveness. I, you know, I don't, I don't really see that as a problem. I just see that as something to engineer around. If you're down 90%, that's a major problem. But, you know, during a pandemic and a very uncertain time, you're only down a little bit. That's, you know. Yeah. I think it can be overcome.
1: I, I would imagine, and my imagination is just running parallel to to Dirk, uh, <laughs> the Juno co-founder. Um, it's really, I think, that, that part of this uh, remote workplace will include what he thinks about as remote diagnostics, right? Just everything that's uh, more convenient and can be done from home will be. Um, so there's a leap there, which is fantastic. For the way you're thinking about the world and the things you're investing in, Neil. Uh,
0: well, I appreciate that. That means a lot coming from you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. T- take me through what you'd share with the 120 families. The the thing I. <laughs> sorry that I keep going back to that number, but it's uh it, it's very tangible to me because I've run into lots of people in your office over time and. Yeah. Um, I know they're more than just clients because you've been to plenty of birthday parties and plenty of dinners with folks over the, the years. And um, yeah. so I, I keep using that number because it, they, they matter more than just clients.
1: Well, the relationships uh, in life are what really give it wealth. That's the thing, you know? Um, you can watch people evolve um, who are wise. Um, of course, Warren Buffett's probably the most famous investor. Um, and he talks about how, when he was young, he wanted only for, um, he wanted only to be the richest man in America. He thought about that constantly. Um, (laughs) He got there. Yeah, 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 yeah. He might be number four or something now, but he definitely, uh, got as close as you can reasonably say. He certainly was aiming and he, uh, as you know, of course, changed, very much, uh, having probably reached that plateau, looking for another goal. But he uh, he says quite frequently that the real measure of success is that the people you love, love you in this life. And that's really, um, <laughs> there are ways to achieve that, mostly by uh, through compassion, love, and understanding on your own part and of yourself. But anyway, you know, Neil, the financial markets have become quite distorted. Um, so we're we've probably been, gosh, for too long, cautious and wondering how far we can stretch this rubber band of credit. Um, and even when you look under the hood at certain companies, you know, the biggest in the um, economy now, say Facebook or Alphabet. You know, advertising delivers ninety-eight percent of Facebook revenue, eighty-five percent for Alphabet. I mean, there's only so many ad dollars to go around. You know, you look at the top five companies, and Microsoft is one. Those two, um, of course, Amazon, um, they are 45% of the NASDAQ index now. Wow. Because it's way... I didn't realize it was that large. It's extraordinary. Um, you know, those top five tech titans are um, 21 22% of the S&P 500 index. So... It's extraordinary. And there's almost like this snowball effect because of um, algorithmic investing, because of um, uh, index fund investing, and all of these natural uh, programmed flows that make the big bigger. And you have the whole energy sector of the S&P 500 index at less than 4%, smaller than the Apple uh, waiting alone in that index. Apple by market cap in the, and by representation in the S&P 500 is larger than all of the energy sector there, which is ExxonMobil, Chevron, um, Schlumberger, Halliburton, I could name them many, many more, but it's pretty fascinating how distorted that's become, but how it's also become something we're very used to. Um, you know, when we talked to Rick Cesari last time, I mentioned how, um, Barry Diller had gone on record as saying that he was cutting his advertising budget from five billion a year across all of right, yeah, to one billion. I mean, an eighty percent cut. And so he's got an interesting collection of businesses, but they need advertising, and um, they are web based. You know, he's got famously the collection of dating apps that I <laughs> made a little bit of fun of earlier, but that are definitely money makers um but to cut that much uh in ad spending and i don't know if he's still you know hewing to that line but that's what he announced pretty publicly uh certainly it implies that going forward we're going to see some leveling off if not outright decline in ad spend that's usually the first cut to in a recession which we're in so um again valuations get more stretched um probably less revenue for those big giants but their share prices have sort of come unglued from the reality um, that there's less cash flowing through the business. Certainly less left over at the end and uh, a higher price to pay for what is is there. Anyway, caution, (laughs) the yellow lights flashing, right? Um, so
0: you know, and you, you've been through a, a lot in the markets, or pay, you know, just in life as well, right? And uh-huh. you got to see your parents go up and down, and your grandparents go up and down, and and their fortunes through the market as well over time, mm-hmm. or their lack of at the wrong moment. Um, obviously, that you know, that was one of the things that motivated you to become an RIA and just help people with their money. But uh-huh. you know, what you know, obviously, so so this cycle isn't really unfamiliar to you. And it's probably not that unfamiliar to a lot of your clients, but what's different? You know, this may be just such a dumb question because, you know, all cycles are really look the same. And, you know, just like all pandemics really look the same, whether or not we learn that they look the same. Uh, (laughs) I don't know. What's different about this cycle than, you know, other than the extra time. Okay. That one's easy to, you know, it's been long, you know, larger, longer. Um, What else is different here?
1: Yeah, Neil, so much. I mean, uh, I'd have to respectfully disagree in some nuanced way with what you said. You know, all all crises have the same outline, it's true, um, in a very general sense. But specifically, uh, and especially now we can look at COVID and just see how uneven the impact is, right? Um, corporate lawyers are still working, <laughs> restaurant workers not so much. Um you know, financial advisors and the financial markets are open. Um, hotels are not, so it's a, uh, you know, the retail space, especially online, is booming. Um, but uh, you know, other small mom and pop shops um, and other retailers are not. So it's a, it's a strange world. But I think what really has happened is because this shock to the system was exogenous. It was external to the financial system. It really had the uh, impact in business and certainly I think throughout society of exposing all of our weaknesses. So this is something we really have to contend with. You know, the supply chain, for example, is one of the more notable weaknesses we've sort of unraveled (laughs) or was revealed in this crisis. Just-in-time inventory meant there is no real redundancy in the system. And when the supply chain breaks, we really are out of luck. Um, store shelves are bare, or at least for the things we need. Um, you know, you you say that, but I, you know, a friend of a doctor, friend of mine uh-huh. said,
0: you know, how is this how is this going to matter to me whether supply chains, you know, not as good? And I'm like, I'm not sure it is. Maybe you spend more money on on. Um, buying yeah. something but yeah. like you're always going to be able to afford rice based on where you are in life
1: <laughs> right? well, we're, like it's just not going to be an issue right right well we have all these implicit biases like a recency bias and coming out of this crisis which is going to still be a severe one i mean we're just now getting pre-announcements and announcements of q2 numbers and lower guidance and you know gdp now the atlanta fed's real-time gdp estimator shows a minus 45 percent <laughs> a 45% drop in GDP. Look, peak to trough from 29 to 1932 during the Great Depression. GDP fell how much, Neil? You can just take a stab in the dark if you don't know.
0: Uh, 30%?
1: Yeah, 25. 25% peak to trough. In the Great Financial Crisis uh, 10 years ago or so, do you know? 40? No, 5. 5%. A little more than 5%. Five, <laughs> five, <three years. laughs>
0: wow wow
1: Wow. so a smaller perturbation right in a system because we have so much more leverage a small ripple creates a larger wave throughout the system a larger shock wave so it's a more fragile system generally because of the high amount of leverage i think there's got to be some sort of debt jubilee or forgiveness or somehow we're going to get there i don't know what that path really is it's uh my ears to the ground I think before we do get there, though, the Fed will experiment with everything, including negative rates. You know, they're a political institution and they're floating the balloon now. If you listen, if you put your ear not even to the ground, just to the airwaves, <laughs> you can hear. No,
0: we're, we're, we're refinancing our house at like 2.8% or something. Yeah. Right? It's just. Yeah.
1: And the, the,
0: <laughs> that, that is really. I, I always thought of inflation. You know, my dad always said, you know, inflation's like two and a half to three percent. I was like, now we're borrowing at inflation rates. Okay, this yeah. is great. Yeah. Well, and, I'm with you. I'm saying it's an experiment, a big, giant political
1: experiment. Yeah. So they'll yeah. exhaust all possibilities, and you know, it's that old Winston Churchill bromide that Americans can always be counted on to do the right thing after they first exhausted all other possibilities. So <laughs> <laughs> we'll do that, you know, first. I don't think I've heard that
0: before. <laughs> oh, is that right? Yeah. yeah. Uh,
1: he had many practiced quips, some of which uh, decorum prohibits us from sharing, but they're all great. He might be, I think, uh, along with Mark Twain, among the most quoted, right? Anyway. <laughs> so, yeah, Neil, this, this crisis is... Um, Different again, external to the financial markets, and yet we're using, of course, the limited tool set we have to try to deal with this. So the Fed is providing liquidity, but liquidity does not create solvency. If you don't have revenues, if you have no sales, or if your sales are down <laughs> and don't come back, if they're, you know, will you be able to make your debt service? Um, borrowing more money doesn't; it makes it harder, actually, a higher hurdle to make debt service. So there's that real distinction, which we're uh, clearly seeing revealed day by day, month by month, or week by week and month by month of um, who's solvent and who's not. I don't know if you've seen, interestingly enough, um, it's kind of a state is a casualty in malls, but um, Maserich and Simon Growth Properties are making a bid to buy JCPenney or to take them out of bankruptcy.
0: I did not see that, but i I have a stat that I published on on Facebook that i uh saw that you'll appreciate related to this last year, at least ninety three hundred stores uh fell victim to the retail apocalypse in twenty twenty according to core site research, twenty to twenty five thousand stores will close in the United States, and it says fifty five to sixty percent of those will be in malls, so you know. We'll say half of the JCPenney's I've ever seen were in malls. So mm. you're going to have these large anchors that can't attract the same <laughs> the, the same traffic anyway. Right. It's got to be a very interesting purchase. Well, there's right? some
1: and, yeah, there's some interesting dynamics because if you know the um, way most mall contracts are written, the anchor tenants get a very sweet deal. Sometimes they even own their own pads. Of course. Um, but they're meant to draw traffic, right? And for that, for having those anchor tenants drawing traffic, smaller retailers, which is where the real money is in owning a mall as a landlord, they'll pay a higher per square foot rental rate. But if an anchor tenant leaves, it's a trigger in many uh, rental clauses that they can then renegotiate the rents or have a lower rent.
0: It it is in malls maybe, but it's not in little... um store. So like, you know, my, my first company was a cell phone store. I was 21 and I rented in a grocery store complex mm-hmm. and I'm betting nobody really had a, a trigger. If the grocery store left, um, <laughs>
1: you know, we, <laughs> we you paid be $20. In space? You'd be in
0: a- yeah. Yeah. But we, we were paying 20 bucks a square foot and they were paying 50 cents a square foot to give you an idea of the difference yeah, in, yeah,
1: yeah.
0: in pricing. Right. I think 21 with all the, the, the cams and the triple net. Uh huh.
1: Uh
0: huh. Um, and they were paying fifty cents, right? So that's yeah. just insane to see. Right. Um, it may be more common in some of those contracts, but I'm I'm betting that there are plenty of people who didn't think about that, who didn't have the right representation in malls. Also, I, I bet it's as much as five percent or higher. Right. Well, so it, there's a bunch of folks who just won't be able
1: to afford to stay there. Right. Well, it certainly makes us. It's uh, understandable. With that knowledge about the way contracts are written, why they might it might make financial sense for them to prop up the Potemkin village of a J.C. Penney, no one wants to go into, but uh, the lights are on. I don't know. It's a strange, strange world, and it certainly seems like um, they're in denial. Right? <laughs> Eventually, <laughs> this has to um, be cleared. The market has to clear these businesses which are not viable. I don't know, but Sears is a walking zombie testament to that in the retail space. They just refuse to die. And I think they've been, all the parts have been sold off. So I don't know what's left other than uh, perhaps some, I think the real estate's been stripped away, certainly, in uh, Seritage Growth Properties, SRG, famously. Anyway, this is a different crisis. I hope it leads to some changes in leadership. (laughs) <laughs> Neil, most strongly <laughs> and some social change but you know when so-
0: I, I, hope you, I hope you're out of the social change but I don't know like there's been such a fight for social change for so long I worry that almost nothing can change it, as dumb as that to me sounds
1: I don't know, fuses were short for many reasons and it seems like um, you know, you can't unsee the murder of George Floyd and um, the compounded with the um, just tension from stay at home and the declining economy and all of that. I it, hope to God you're right. existential fear I think people have. Um, they could see that and relate to it. and I think it just was a great uh, spark around the world though um, and a little in many ways um, uncontrollable, right as its true grassroots efforts. the streets and the people are speaking to us if we want to listen. <laughs> we should listen and certainly, a true leader would listen. Um, if I listen to the economy again, it's really flashing a yellow light. And you asked if someone someone said, "Why should I care about the supply chain?" I think because things will be more expensive as you onshore more manufacturing or you build more inventory, so you have redundancies and fewer failures. If you build in, um, uh, you know, um, resiliency rather than efficiency or a little more resiliency into the supply chain it's going to raise prices i think so that's why I- does
0: that does that mean that the average we'll call it upper class there might be an economic definition of what upper class mm-hmm. you know middle class and, and lower class might be does that mean more people who are sitting you know upper middle class are now lower middle class including you know doctors <laughs> as a result of things going up in price
1: well yeah that's what uh, if this is to be thought of as consumer price inflation, Um, your purchasing power is definitely going to go down. It's going to go down. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, then there's the whole world of the monetary veil, you know, the, the games we're playing with the currency um, and that game is really just creating multitudes of it uh, around the world. What will people um, really put their trust in? Um, Again, the spark of, George Floyd and the coronavirus pandemic, um, those twin sparks have really set off a blaze, which demonstrates more than anything else the low levels of trust we have in our institutions. You know, people don't really believe what the federal government has to say as much. There's uh, hosts of conspiracy theories, and as outrageous as many seem, it's a further sign of that. And then, of course, the protests and the um, abuses of authority we've seen seem to uh, support the idea that a lot of what we're our trust in institutions is misplaced, right? The fat- you know, my, my worry about Biden
0: getting elected is that he'll also have potentially a failure of imagination to really help turn this country around, right? In a way where equality matters more without becoming socialists, you know, trying yeah. to think about fundamental economic principles, which sometimes cause pain before they cause prosperity again, uh, you know, is he just going to push it off because he needs to, and he's, you know, worried about the next four years, like, you know, most politicians who get elected to presidency.
1: Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, certainly, um, we're stuck in the same way, similar way to me that we were four years ago. Um, but no human being is without their flaws. Right. I, I have to say, I would imagine that Biden is a better listener. (laughs) <laughs> and that alone commends him to us, right? <laughs> Just enough, right? Just, that doesn't take much. No, it really is not a high bar. But thankfully, that is something that he can claim, lay claim to. And I Twitter think, may go bankrupt without Trump in office. Oh man, <laughs> is going to be sad to let that guy go. I don't know. I don't think he'll. Uh, I don't think he'll go quietly. I think he'll probably. Uh, increase his tweet uh, ratio, you know, his, uh, yeah, his, it probably met uh, exponentially when he's got more. Time. <laughs> the
0: tweet multitude more. of tweets yeah. by former president Trump has gone up by 20 X in, in the last four days. <laughs> yeah.
1: But I, um, I really think that's an important point you bring up, Neil, but I think people have to think about what is the world telling us. What's the planet telling us? (laughs) These are all messages. Um, Our dear friend John Milne once joked that the coronavirus is telling us that human beings really are the pandemic, (laughs) and we need to just chill and retreat for a minute. And certainly it seems that nature has blossomed in the absence of so much human activity. So maybe it's not exactly as dire as John phrased it, but it is uh, an important lesson to take to heart that we could be more mindful about the way we conduct our uh, economic activity and what we value.
0: You know, you you said something to me, I don't know if it was on a podcast or in a separate phone call, maybe 10 to 20 weeks ago, and it was something like, you know, I think some of the opportunities are going to come out of the market going down are going to create, you know, once-in-a-lifetime opportunities. Mm -hmm. Do you still think that... Mm -hmm those are going to continue to arise for you um, over the next, we'll call it three years?
1: Uh, Yes, I do. You know, the the, um, profile of a bear market we've talked about before is a sharp sell-off and a retracement, um, which we have been in, and then a more drawn-out fundamental decline. But that fundamental decline still has these retracements, um, and also, really, it's a reallocation of capital away from the former leaders, which they're still a uh, you know um, a lot of fans of. <laughs> you know, um, I don't know, and I'm not claiming to know when Amazon would peak. When do we get there? I mean, AWS is still really the growth engine inside of that company. Um, but you know, once it does, of course, you know the ardent fans won't give up on it, and each lower price is a reason to buy more. So that sort of process of a change in leadership is slower, um, but funds get reallocated, investments get reallocated, and that leaves room for things that still um, offer more value to the investor. So those opportunities will persist and the opportunity set will change and sometimes get better, (laughs) sometimes narrow and get worse or smaller. So, um, but yeah, that's the way. Of the world, Neil. Okay. Anything else you want to say to uh,
0: the 120 families?
1: What else? What else? Uh, what I want to say that I wish them. Uh, help? Just,
0: you know, you probably get. You, you know, you probably get the same set of questions during the week, and more people wish they could have called to ask that same question than got a chance to call.
1: Yeah, I I would say we've been very. Uh, concerned, as we all are, uh, and about this threat. And we've taken great precaution to strap in our clients very safely um, and to really think through uh, what the implications of the coronavirus are and to make sure we survive and live and uh, are healthy to fight another day. So, so
0: you're not going to put all of your money in Virgin Galactic tomorrow? I just want to be clear about not, that on the record. Uh, not
1: going to do it. Well, you know, there's a, another interesting thing. If I think about, um, you know, a pattern of market peaks, and when there's a change afoot, the revelation of fraud is always a big part of it. Um, John Kenneth Galbraith, the Harvard uh, economist, who wrote several books, especially about crashes in their aftermath, um, created this framework that I reference here. And he talked about the one of the early indications is a a revelation of a fraud. And it isn't just one, but there are a series of them, right? Um, And then there's usually some ground, earth-shattering one, like a Bernie Madoff or uh, something that really gets you Enron, uh, et cetera. So in those last two crises, those were great examples. In this one, we've had, you know, a few frauds um, that have... uh, but just mildly rock the boat. Most recently Wirecard, the big payments company, which I'd love to talk to uh, John Elison about. <laughs> um, but that uh, that uh, company that uh, all of a sudden lost track of $2 billion of cash. That's a lot to lose. Um, and Lucan Coffee, the Chinese um, Starbucks, which was anything but. <laughs> you know, we've talked a lot or at least alluded to Alibaba um, questionable accounting at Tesla. These are- Fra- Fraud? Fraud? <laughs> yeah, yeah. These are big questions that are still unanswered. I don't want to be uncharitable, um, uh, you know, until I see forensic accounting that shows the fraud. But there are questions which have gone unanswered about accounting treatments. Um, you know, recognize, recognition of revenue at Tesla. Um, Alibaba just makes up whole out of whole cloth well i i think that alibaba and tesla might be cut from the same cloth yeah well you know it's uh we have to be quite clear-eyed about this in the same way um you know the the open question i keep asking myself now is in what ways do i chris heidel endeavor to insulate myself from the truth we all do it as human beings the um Coronavirus is unmasking a lot of things like too much leverage in corporate balance sheets, the the, um, possible impotence of some uh, uh, central bank uh, power (laughs) over the economy, that uh, these tools may prove ineffective because we're really faced with solvency concerns rather than just a liquidity crisis that emanated from the financial institutions um, leadership. But uh, you know, we can tell ourselves, oh, well, Donald Trump cut taxes and that's good for me. But, um, you know, we're going to have 120,000 deaths. Um, I don't know where the the peak will be, but it's just really amazing that, again, we can't unsee these things. And I think part of the real frustration we see in the zeitgeist and the collective consciousness now and the the rise of this protest movement, even on both sides, the sense of frustration um, is just that. I mean, it's, we can't, uh, we've been stripped, our life-supporting lies have been stripped away all at once, Neil. (laughs) And you know, human beings behave in strange ways when that happens. Um, Sometimes we even will kill the person who denies us our life-supporting lies. Um, MLK was murdered. Mahatma Gandhi murdered. Bapu, uh, wonderful people. Jesus, ask him. He'll tell you the same thing. <laughs> the search for something to blame is always successful. That's the one search with 100%, uh, a probability of one in outcomes. Anyway, the I guess the the. Real thing I think about is, um, as people are even examining their unconscious biases, right, Um, what do I have in terms of investments? What do I think, um, historically, is the proper analogy? Am I insulating myself from the truth? Did, as many have suggested, the coronavirus crisis drag retail 10 years into the future all at once? Um, Wow. Maybe. So anyway, I'm just really examining my own uh (laughs) thoughts biases and uh trying to create a true um and imaginative way of thinking about the future
0: do you know if any you know economists who study investor patterns actually study their biases more or you know psychologists
1: well with the rise of uh dan kahneman right um of course, most recently, Thinking Fast and Slow uh, chronicled right. his work with Amos Tversky. Oh. I mean, he's thus considered the father of behavioral economics. So many of his um, intellectual children, like Dan Ariely, most famously probably, um, um, Cialdini, um, uh, and, and others, they do a lot of work with our uh, trying to understand our biases.
0: We need to understand. We need to have a couple of them on our podcast. Yeah,
1: Michael Malvison has written um, a couple of books just about the way investors need to think. All right, Heather, you properly. got you
0: got to look these folks up and see if we can get them on the podcast. Mm-hmm.
1: Malvison teaches at uh, Columbia. He might be a good uh, candidate. Um, he's written a book called "Think Twice," which is uh, uh, all about creating the right uh, or a better. <laughs> um, mental checklist uh, when you're making oh, important decisions.
0: That's really fascinating because I've noticed that I need to do more of that. The more decisions there are, I have to make more of that. Sometimes I have to physically write it out or other times I have to specifically focus the, on the checklist to make sure I'm getting everything.
1: Yeah. You know, I asked earlier in the podcast just about, uh, you know, are there any um, areas you see that you would not invest in now? because of coronavirus, has it revealed any uh, change to your thinking about future? And, you know, I just think that's part of the uh, process many people don't go through. Like, which hill am I going to die on and let's not go there? I, You know, or, I, I have some thoughts about it, but I don't want to share them
0: now because yeah. they're still forming. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I've definitely been giving it a bunch of thought and uh, at some point, Um, maybe I'll, I can share those, but but, you know, I want to let that form first. And I've actually had like three conversations about that this week. Yeah. It's a very
1: funny thing because I, I like you, Neil, um, a bit research intensive and sometimes you just hold on to that newly gained knowledge, but it's not something you can really hold on to. I guess what it means for me is I have to uh, remember to consider all alternatives, uh, and uh, a judge, you know. Uh, the counterfactual world too, <laughs> and what might happen to this investment, even if I, you know, what are the other uh, possible outcomes? Um, all uh, the full range. It, it, it make. makes
0: me. It makes me profile companies a little differently. That that's the big thing I'll tell you.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, is you know, it makes me want to change some of my you know, 40 criteria, not change, add to, mm-hmm. like, I love, add, you know, this is maybe bad, but I love making, adding more filters.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I'm okay. If there's not that many things to invest in, mm-hmm. I, but you know, I, a friend of mine said, Hey, your job is to write checks. And I was like, no, my job is to make money. Let's not confuse these two things. Um, they yeah. They should, one should lead to the other, but. I'd rather
1: sit out than do dumb things. Yeah, remind me not to invest with your friend who said that. Okay. Uh, me, he's a very successful
0: away. entrepreneur. <laughs> if, we
1: got a, if we got a chance to, you
0: know, his, actually his name's Barry Allen and he started. Um, He's had a, a few device exits uh-huh. and he also started the Zillow of Canada called Zolo. And, you know, we'll actually invite, I think you might've talked to Barry once I've introduced you to him.
1: I may have. Um, yeah. All right. Well, I
0: think we, we should invite Barry yeah, on and um, we, yeah. can, we can start with that. Okay. Well, to be fair to Barry, <laughs> you
1: might be misinterpreting his comment. Okay. Barry can speak for
0: himself <laughs> when he
1: has the opportunity. I don't want to misunderstand him. <laughs> but, yeah, right?
0: but, yeah. Um. You know, a couple of things. Let, let, let's just move to a little bit of the, the startup world and a couple of things I noticed and just some of the observations I saw this week. Um, I You know, it was interesting. I, I, you're the one who introduced me to Joseph Schimpeter. Is that how you say his name? Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, I guess that, you know, there's some work built on top of, um, you know, his work by William Nordhaus. And um, he... Did this study that said innovators only capture two point two percent of the total potential
1: surplus from their innovation? Ha! It reminds me of the founder of Atari, who recognized that people were making more money running saloons that put his games in there <laughs> at a quarter a play than he made selling the creating the game itself. Anyway, that's a you're probably right though. There are many uh, examples of that.
0: Yeah, and I'll actually post this in the show notes and I'll, I'll email it to you literally right now. There's the send, the interesting article about it. But I found it really fascinating because it kind of reaffirms the way I look at IP, right? But
1: yeah, it's, it's I, I think like um, when I was back in business school uh, many moons ago, there was always this talk that um, whether it, whatever the innovation is, the originators capture such a small portion of it. Right. And I don't know if you think about it. I mean, from business school, you know, they're very concrete talking about the history of railroads and, um, you know, uh, the internal combustion engine, and all of this. But in each and all of those examples, there were several very uh, hair-raising, earth-shattering <laughs> drops and declines um, before there was profit to be shared. Ooh, sorry.
0: No, it's okay. Um, just tell Trump you'll call him back later and help him I mean, later. that's the
1: hotline, huh? <laughs> Probably a Chinese robocall. So that, that's been increasing in coronavirus. I've been getting more
0: of those. <laughs> you know, I I just stopped answering if I don't know somebody. So it's you know the phone doesn't work the way I wanted it to anymore. Yeah. Um, the The other one I w- the other thing I was seeing kind of in the startup world a little bit was. That uh, report by Fenwick and West, at West I was uh, um, referencing earlier, Fenwick and West is a big uh, law firm in the world, and they were talking about up rounds and down rounds, and they were saying up rounds only declined by 2% from March to April, That's 70% of the deals were still up rounds, which I found really interesting. March to
1: April, we'd have to really <laughs> see what May tells us, huh? When do they release?
0: Um. I you know it doesn't seem like they release as often as I figure they would, so I bet we'll see another one because you know June's you know the end of six months, so we should see another good report in July. Um, and down rounds were only twelve um, percent uh, of all the deal volume in April, where in March it was sixteen percent. Mm-hmm. Um, this doesn't give me like you know the warm and fuzzies about the venture industry when I see stats like this, right? Like. Not every business can be working as well as it was before. I just don't buy it.
1: Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, And we've um, – well, exits are harder too in this environment, um, which has to redound back to the funding. I mean
0: – Right.
1: You know, what we we've seen also, of course, we talked about SoftBank earlier, but they've shuttered a number of businesses, you know. Brandless, their consumer food and paper products company, The you know, um, I guess that's the first Vision Fund bankruptcy, really, but starting a trend, maybe.
0: No, no. um, There's lots of things that have looked like they've gone bankrupt already. If you're a walking zombie, I kind of declare you bankrupt as well, right?
1: Well, Um, Casper Sleep made it out. um, To it survived to list shares on February 5th, but I guess that valuation is what 400 million, and that's half the quoted private last private funding round of. 1.1 billion. So less than half, yeah. They've come out, yeah. One of the... Of it. The other
0: interesting trend was the D&E rounds were up in um, April. Mm-hmm. Um, they were up uh, 38% of the volume um, uh, in April versus 21% of the volume in March. And I think that that makes for, you know, combined, essentially saying like 42% of all financings in the month of April, were uh, D and E rounds um, mm-hmm. with increased valuations. Thirty-eight percent of them having increased valuations. But essentially, what I'm seeing there—that actually makes a lot of sense. had
1: increased valuations, and yes, sir. How many were neutral and how many down?
0: It doesn't actually go through that specific data, but. But what it tells me is at least um, the later stage VCs are being more realistic, right? Let's buy real companies with real revenue (laughs) that need capital to grow and hopefully not through pizza arbitrage. That's right.
1: That's right. That's right. Real growth, not uh, fake.
0: Manufacturing growth. The other kind of notable thing to me that I read, um, I think this is this week. Yeah, um, I guess it's today. Y Combinator decided to um, reduce the amount of money they give um, as part of participating in the program and reduce the amount of equity. So it used to be 150000 for 7%, and now it's 125000 for 4%. Um, and they take up to... 120, oh, 125,000 for the same equity, sorry. And they take up to 4% of your subsequent rounds going forward, um, which is kind of interesting. So, you know, they're giving less to get the same. You know, is that a sign on the market? Um, is that a sign of, um, you know, maybe them reaching some peak maturity?
1: The um, portfolio balance channel, Neil, that was the euphemism or the polite... Uh, Uh, respectable robe that the Fed cloaked their zero interest rate policy in. They said it would force people to buy junk bonds and search for yield. And uh, they were right, but they called it the portfolio balance channel, where they were forcing (laughs) old savers out of CDs and bank deposits and into the high yield market and to buying dividend paying stocks. So there's some element of that, right? (laughs) That search for yield. Although this isn't prompted by the Fed, but it reminded me of that. Chris, I think that's
0: the end of our show. Do you want to wish everybody a happy weekend or a good week or yeah, a prosperous life or
1: a wonderful happy meditation? Yeah, a wonderful week and a wonderful 4th of July. And uh, resist because you exist. Keep it up, people, with love and understanding and compassion. No one enters the police force when, I don't believe, uh, to do bad. They want to do good. And by the same token, all of our protesters are, uh, by and large, very peaceful and really just tired and want change. So I think there's a lot of room for understanding.
0: Thank thank you very much. Mm
1: opinions expressed by Neil Modi, Chris Idell, and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Soa Capital or Eidelbeal and Associates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions.